Well, good morning, church. We are uh, continuing our message series this morning on the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Most of his story is told in uh, beginning in 1 Kings 17 and going for several chapters there until you get to 2 Kings and then it goes through to the second chapter. Um, but as we talked about last Sunday, his name is mentioned many times in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And he is known as one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. So uh, this morning we're going to be in 1 Kings 18. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, once again this morning we're going to have a lot of scripture. Because uh, you can't just tell part of this story, you have to tell it all. And so a lot of that's going to be on the screen since I'll be using the NLT, New, New Living Translation, which some of you may not have. Our title for this series is The Days of Elijah. And uh, Linda up here singing uh, reminds me of, you remember back in the late 90s, the song by that name, The Days of Elijah. Um, these are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And uh, I think Linda was actually one that introduced that song to us many years ago. But before we get into today, to today's exciting scripture... Um, let's just do a quick recap from last week and kind of bring us up to chapter 18 here. If you remember last week, Elijah was told by God to go to the evil king Ahab and to tell him that there was going to be this drought in the land for at least three years or until God said that it would be over. And uh, the reason for that drought was because they had been so disobedient to God. In fact, the Israelites, Israel, they had turned away from God and they were worshiping all these other uh, idols. One of the main idols of that time that they were worshiping, worshiping was the idol Baal. And so after Elijah faithfully delivers that very difficult message to the king, he is sent off to go and hide in the Kareth Ravine, because King Ahab was going to be looking for him after that. And so the Lord provided a safe place for Elijah, and the Lord also provided water for him, but from the stream there. And of course, we remember, we heard that the ravens or the birds, were going, they brought him food in the morning and the evening, so he had uh, things to eat. He did not go hungry. But then eventually, of course, the brook dries up because of the drought, and God tells Elijah to head north and to go up to Zarephath, where he would encounter this widow who had fallen into de onto desperate times because of the drought and the famine. And when Elijah meets up with her there at the gate, she's gathering the sticks to make a fire for food. Um, Elijah tells her to go and make some bread for him. And uh, he promises her that even though that's their last little bit, that God will not allow their food to run out. The Lord not only provided them food there, uh, but he also allowed Elijah to raise her son to life after he had died. And we heard or we talked about last Sunday that that was the very first time in scripture that a resurrection like that had occurred. And so God definitely was working through his willing servant, Elijah. Last week we talked about how in all of these circumstances, Elijah showed unquestioning obedience to God. He showed absolute trust. And he showed boundless faith. 
And we're going to see more of that today in this First Kings story. And uh, so many... Uh, so many scripture verses today, like I said, they're going to be on the screen this morning. So let's start reading in verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 17 and 20 for time's sake today. But I encourage you sometime, if you want to look, read ver- verses 3 through 16, you can see some inter- interesting interactions there between Obadiah, King Ahab, and Elijah. Um, But let's get started uh, with verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. And then we're going to skip... Down to verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is, is it really you, that you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel, which of course is King Ahab's wife, the queen. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. What do you think when uh, someone talks about a, a big showdown between, you know, whether it be two countries or maybe two people, two teams or, or just two groups of people. I imagine it kind of brings up all kinds of things in your mind. You might think of some of the wars of the past where there were specific showdowns in those wars. A um, couple that come to mind would be, of course, Gettysburg during the Civil War in our country. The Battle of the Bulge and World War II. Maybe you think of some showdowns that have taken place in the movies over the years. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back. Batman versus the Joker. And of course there are individual showdowns that have taken place over the years. Ali versus Foreman. You know, they used to call that what? The Thrilla of Manila when that took place back in the day. And then there was, of course, the big showdowns between Joe McEnroe or, or John McEnroe and, and Jimmy Connors in the tennis world. There's always those epic showdowns between sports teams. Of course, we have the Cubs and the Cardinals, the Lakers and the Celtics. And maybe we'll have another one tonight in the Super Bowl with, between the Chiefs and the 49ers. By the way, speaking of that, um, we put a thing on our Facebook page, uh, church Facebook page, asking who you're cheering for tonight just to get some responses and, and see what people were saying. And it looks like from what I was seeing on the comments, the majority of the congregation is pulling for the chiefs tonight. And I, I was thinking about that. I don't know if that's because of football or if it's because of them being in the Midwest 
or if it's because of Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think there may be some of all of that involved in, in your answers there. But I say all that to say this. Make no mistake that this was a huge showdown that we are about to see here in 1 Kings 18. Between these 450 prophets of King Ahab's God, Baal, Queen Jezebel's 400 prophets of Asherah, and of course, Elijah's one true living God. If Elijah showed obedience, trust, and faith last week, he just steps it up a whole nother notch in this week's main event. He shows all of those that we talked about last Sunday, plus he shows courage and he shows boldness as he heads to the top of Mount Carmel for this showdown. I uh, visited Mount Carmel some years ago. Uh, I think it was back in 2013 when I was there in the Holy Lands. And uh, it has quite the view. You, you know, Just to the west, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. And then to the east, if you turn around and look the other way, you see the fertile land of, of Israel. You can see in the pictures there. But really, this is just one big mountain or one big hill right there in the middle of very flat country. And, but that's where they all gather. And Elijah wants to prove that Baal, the God that they have been worshiping, is a false God. He wants to show how the people of Israel should turn back to God as their one true God and get rid of Baal and his deceived followers. His true heart's desire, of course, is to see the people of Israel turn back to God and, and leave the lives of disobedience that they have been leaving, uh, leading there in the land. So, here is how the showdown proceeds. Elijah sets it up for us in verses 21 through 24. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said... How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. He said, now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. Then Elijah says, I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but I will not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot that could be said about the use of altars and the whole sacrificial system and during those days uh, of Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. But one thing we can just say this morning is they meant very different things, the reasons that they sacrificed and what they sacrificed to. Uh, if we went too much into detail, that could be another whole sermon this morning. But these altars on Mount Carmel were set up mainly to see whose God is going to show up 
when called upon. And of course, like a gentleman, Elijah says, you all can go first. And so, uh, this is what it says in verses 25 through 26. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call, the, call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, and they placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there, but still... There was no sound, no reply, no response. That must have been quite the scene. All these people, I mean, that's a lot of people. If you think about all that have been mentioned here, plus there were probably a lot more. But they're all dancing and they're shouting and they're pleading for their God, Baal, to show up and to start that fire there on the altar. Nothing happens from early morning till noon. And it goes on for so long during the day that Elijah actually started to make fun of them and mock them for their, their failing efforts. Now, uh, I, I would think that Elijah was probably a pretty humble man, humble prophet of God. But in this instance, we see that he does have some humor to him as well. I mean, uh, you heard that right. He suggested to them that Baal was going to the restroom. You know, maybe he was going to the restroom since he wasn't showing up. Uh, but in the end, nothing happens. Baal was, their God was a no-show. And now it's time for Elijah to call on his one true living God. And in this, we will see his, his courage and his boldness uh, as his turn is up. So beginning in verse 30 now. Then Elijah called to the people. He said, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, he said, go and fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, go and do the same thing again. And when they were finished, again, he said, now do it a third time. And so they did as he said, 
And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, where did, you know, where did they get water in the middle, all this water in the middle of a drought? Well, if you remember that picture, you know, they are right there by the Mediterranean Sea. It's just down the mountain to the west. So there would have been water there available. And so he has them go and get that water and pour these 12 large jars on the altar and the wood. And it's so much that it runs down around the altar, just overflowing. Now, if you or I were to go in our backyard to a fire pit and build a fire and pour that much water on it, what kind of luck or what do you think we're going to be able to start that fire? I'm not sure I could even start it with diesel fuel or whatever else I use. Uh, I don't quite have the skills that Boy Scouts have to get my fire started, so I have to use a little extra help. But when wood is wet, when things are wet, it's not, it doesn't work. So and uh, Elijah does something very different than what the prophets of Baal did when they were trying to get their God to show up. He doesn't dance around. He doesn't shout. And do all of those, you know, crazy things, cutting themselves and all that that they were doing. Instead, he prays. And here is his prayer and the results of his prayer in verses 36 to 39. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, so it's evening now, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull and the wood and the stones and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is He is God. What a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful result. Elijah asked the Lord to let it be known to the people that the one true and only living God had shown up that day. He also prayed that the people would realize their need for God and that in that, that realizing that need that they would turn back to Him with hungry and repentant hearts. You know, that day God showed up and the power of God came down. There was no doubt uh, who won this showdown on Mount Carmel. It was so convincing That verse 39 says the people saw it and they fell face down. They were overwhelmed that they fell face down. They cried out and said, the Lord is God. Verse 40, if you read on, is a little bit troubling when it says that Elijah commanded the prophets of Baal to be seized and killed. But 
the Bible is clear that, you know, judgment is real and judgment is never a pleasant thing. For 400 years, God had shown restraint and God had shown patience as the people that he led to the promised land continued to disobey him, even mock him, turn away from him. And really what they ended up doing is turning to some of the most evil and wicked practices known to humans. Judgment and punishment is always God's last resort. But scripture is very clear that at some point, God's judgment will come. As Pastor James White puts it, what stands out most in the Bible is not God's act, acts of justice, but how much he is marked by mercy and restraint. However, this was a time when God determined that there was no other recourse but divine judgment. You know, as hard as it is to read that verse 40, I'm also reminded of so many verses in Scripture, words in Scripture like what David says in Psalm 103, verse 8, where he says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. But let's get back to what happened here with this showdown and what it can teach us for us living in today's world. Last week I talked about how Elijah was on fire for God. We see that, of course, again today. Elijah showed unwavering trust in God despite the immense opposition that he was facing in that day. But instead of backing down to the prophets of Baal, the evil of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and really the rebellion of the people, he stepped up to the plate. And he trusted the Lord to let it be known who the one true living God will always be. Do we show that kind of unwavering trust today in the midst of a world and culture that continues to mock the Bible, turn away from God and Jesus, and disobey the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels? More concerning yet, are we complicit in joining our culture in that disobedience. If we're not careful, our disobedience towards God can be a reflection of what our culture is doing and what is going on. I mean, that's really, if you think about it, that's really what happened here in Israel when Elijah comes onto the scene. The people had followed their culture, they had ignored the Lord. And so today, you know, if we think about it in our context, in our world today, when our culture views gender or sex or truth or marriage and sin in ways that are disobedient from God's word and God's will, do we go along with culture and what others are doing? Or do we show obedience and faithfulness to God? 
In the Old Testament, God had warned the people often about joining the pagans and, and following these false gods. I mean, there, in the Old Testament, there are so many warnings about that. It took some prophets, like Elijah, and some of the people who followed him in, in those ways, who would repent and have that desire to turn back to the ways of God. It reminds me of, of what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. You know, maybe they weren't as disobedient at, in that church as these Israelites in 1 Kings were, but they obviously were not on fire for God either. Because Jesus said this, he said, I know all the things you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Apparently, the believers in Laodicea weren't taking a stand for anything. And their apathy and indifference had led to idleness and maybe even idol worship. And Jesus is warning them. And I believe Jesus is warning us as a part. That's why it's in our, in our Bible today. To pay attention to what our life looks like compared to the world. You know, does it look the same? Or do we look different? The next thing we learn from Elijah on Mount Carmel today is the power of prayer. We know the power of prayer. We talk about the power of prayer. But do we trust in it? And are we faithful in it? First of all, do you trust in the kind of prayer that Elijah prayed here? He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God. He goes on and he, he prays, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God. Now, we probably won't be praying over an altar showdown like Elijah was here. But when you pray for healing, when you pray for salvation for someone... When you pray for provisions in your life, things that you need to be provided for you, or for direction in your career or life or family, or for forgiveness for past sins. Of course, there are many other things that we pray for besides those things. But do you pray with the expectation that God will show up? And, and bring healing or bring salvation to that family or family member or friend or provide for you when you are like that widow down to the last little bit that you have or to forgive you when you repent and you ask for forgiveness of past sins or sins in your life. And of course, you know, whatever else you are praying for. Robert Morgan tells about a time 
when he was staying at a at the very top of a crumbling motel in uh, Brazil. And he was fearful that one little spark would set the hotel on fire. And he and his friend that he was with would be trapped there on the, the top floor of the hotel. And he said when he finished praying that night, he was a nervous wreck. He said he hardly slept a wink that night. The next morning when he thought about his prayer the night before, he realized that he focused his prayer on his own negative feelings and thoughts instead of on God's assurances and promises. And so, you know, put that example into this story of Elijah today and you can see the difference. Elijah didn't pray out of his negative thoughts or fears that God wasn't going to show up and he would be embarrassed and humiliated there on the top of Mount Carmel. No. He prayed out of his assurance, trust, and faith that God promised to show up. We need to make sure that our prayers are both confident in God's power and then, of course, filled with faith that He will respond in His will. And finally, Elijah's fire today is fueled by his commitment to choose God's sovereignty over the false gods of his day. For the people then, it was the God of Baal and others, other false gods. For us today, it is the gods of self, of culture, of pleasure, of comfort, of sex, materialism, the internet, our phones. Ouch. (laughs) Starts to get personal when you start to get down to that, doesn't it? I'm sure we could add others to that list, though. As well. This showdown on Mount Carmel shows that the only true living God that we believe in has supremacy over all of the false gods and the false beliefs in this world. Elijah chose God and he was rewarded for his choice. He did not choose the other false gods. He didn't even want to entertain their company. He was not lukewarm, as Jesus warned in Revelation. Instead, he was on fire for the Lord. Tim Barnett says it this way. He says, faithfulness to God comes at a cost. It's easier to submit to societal opinions than to stand on scriptural truth. Many Christians are feeling the pull to align their views with culture or their own personal preferences. Are you entertaining things that you should not be entertaining? Are you giving in to compromise that you shouldn't be giving in to? Are you just kind of following along with the culture? And just doing what everybody else is doing. 
Those are some of the things that, that I think Elijah would want us to ask ourselves and reflect on this morning. He would also want us to realize that God is sovereign and above anything and everything in this world. It reminds me of those wonderful uh, verses in Colossians 1. We went through the Colossians, book of Colossians, not that long ago. But in Colossians 1, it says, For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He existed before anything else. And He holds all of creation together. That's a wonderful truth. But here's another wonderful truth. Even in God's sovereignty... His son Jesus came and showed that he cares for you and I personally. Jesus came to earth to show us how to be on fire for God. After he did that, he went and he died on the cross of Calvary and he shed his blood so that we would have forgiveness of our sins those times that we fall short. We don't have to sacrifice an animal on an altar. Jesus was the sacrifice that went to the cross for us. You won't always be perfect. I won't always be perfect. But we can all be made perfect in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, it appeared at that moment that Satan... And evil had won that showdown on Calvary. But that was far from the truth. Because we know three days later, Jesus rose from the tomb and defeated death once and for all. God showed up again and not only raised Jesus to life, but raised us, each of us who believe and follow Jesus And accept Him as our Lord and Savior to a resurrection life through Him. We are not going to live forever here on this earth. We all know that. But if we believe, if we trust, if we have faith, and if we remain on fire for the Lord, we will live forever in heaven which really is our eternal home if you are a believer. And I hope that you are. Amen? I mean, if you are not a believer this morning, I hope you won't leave this day or this time without going to the Lord and asking Him into your life and just getting on fire for God. There is such a difference in life when we are on fire for God versus just kind of going along with the things of this world and going along with life. If you get on fire for God, God is going to show up in your life and God is going to do incredible things for you, even in the midst of all the things that this world tries to throw at us. And this world, we all know, loves to throw Satan, loves to throw pain and difficulties our way. And so that's the reason we need... We need God in our life. We need Jesus in our life to help us get through that and to um, just have him provide the support and encouragement he needs for us.
I love these verses in 1 Kings 18 because it shows that we sing it all the time. Our God is an awesome God. And, you know, it shows that His sovereign power should never be tested or doubted. Now, next Sunday, um, we will follow Elijah into 1 Kings 19 and into a cave on the top of Mount Sinai. Uh, After he has been through all of this... You can imagine he was tired, he was worn out, he was emotionally spent. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, I think we could all raise our hand at some point in life. Well, if so, come back next week and uh, see how the Lord can help you with that and, and through that. The message title next week it will be God's Gentle Whisper. So let's stand together and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we are dismissed this morning. Lord, we thank you again for the life of Elijah and the example that he is for us. And we thank you for this wonderful showdown, this story that took place on Mount Carmel that shows that you are the one true and living God, Lord. Um, In the midst of this world in which people often turn away from you and turn to these other false gods or put their trust in other things. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are the one that will always be there and that will always show up for us. You are the one who created us. You created everything that's in this world. And Lord, for those who believe, I pray that we would uh, bow before you and worship you And think about the things in our life that do not reflect that. Help us to get those things corrected so that our life and the way that we live can truly reflect your word and what you have called us to. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is not received.